Yeah, good morning to you all. So as we come together this morning, let's uh, center our hearts and our minds on uh, Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, the creator, uh, Jesus, who has died for our sins and whose resurrection gives us the hope of eternal life. So let's praise him together as we sing. Praise the Lord, the almighty, the king of creation and become people of the risen king. We delight to sing his praise. Let's praise him. And so let us bring our prayers of confession. Lord, you offered us bread, but we have chosen the wrong bread. You offered us the bread of compassion, but we failed and declared that charity begins at home. You gave us the bread of forgiveness, but we have refused to forgive one another. You gave us the bread of faith in Jesus, but we have preferred to trust in ourselves. Lord, we have chosen the wrong bread. You offered us the bread of a new beginning, but we find it hard to walk the new path. You offer us love, hope, and renewal. By your grace alone, we choose to reach out and to take hold of your hand, that we know what it, what it may mean to be made new. And this is God's word to us. He record the... He keeps no record of our wrong choices because they've all been wiped away. So come, come now and receive the bread of eternal life. Amen. Our two readings this morning, we'll start with the reading in the Old Testament from Proverbs, Proverbs 9 and its verses 1 to 6. And it says this, wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, come, eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. And our reading from the gospel comes from John's gospel, chapter 6, verses 51 to 58. And it says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, 
and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Thanks be to God for his word this morning. <clears throat> May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. First, a prayer about wisdom. Living God, sometimes we consider ourselves wise, capable of making our own choices, free to shape our own futures, to decide what is best for our own lives. Sometimes we presume to, to know what's best for others. We think our eyes are open, that we can clearly see what is right, that we can best discern what is your will. And yet we're only human, wholly fallible. Walking in the strength of our own wisdom, we find ourselves going inexplicably wrong, wandering in unforeseen and unfamiliar places, so far away from you, O oh God. Unfailing God, remind us each day that we are only human, wholly fallible, and our greatest wisdom is to lean on you. Amen. First of our readings today came from Proverbs. God's wisdom is personified as a woman. In the message, Eugene Peterson calls her Lady Wisdom her house supported by seven pillars. And scripturally, these seven pillars are said to be fear of the Lord, instruction, knowledge, understanding, discretion, counsel, and reproof. The number seven is the number of perfection in scripture, expressing wholeness. And Lady Wisdom's house is beautiful, complete, and self-sufficient. A sumptuous banquet has been prepared. Everything is ready. These days, there's a great deal of money spent in search for mental and physical well-being. Seminars, TED Talks, self-help books, and alternative ways of life all invite us to examine ourselves, our lives, and improve our self-worth. And being kind to ourselves is way up on the list of things we have to do to achieve this. Good food, good company, good quality rest are all important factors. In our reading, Lady Wisdom has come to the marketplace too, selling herself, inviting the lost and confused to join her. Come and eat with me, she says. Come and find meaning in your life. Come and find out how to live life to the full. How modern is that? In verse 10, we read, 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Makes you stop and think, doesn't it? Does God really want us to be afraid of him, to be in terror of him? Hopefully not. Maybe rather to be in awe of him, to respect him and to revere him. To be fully aware that he's always there in good times and in bad. When we do good things and to our shame, he knows when we stray. So come, accept my hospitality, says Lady Wisdom. You will learn. Wisdom is a gift from God. And it's a gift needed in our lives and in many places, different places in our world today. And God is generous and has many gifts to us. We see examples of God's hospitality and provisions throughout the Bible. For the early patriarchs. Provision too for the children of Israel as they wander through the wilderness towards the promised land. And how is that described? A land flowing with milk and honey. Food. Feeding and caring for Elijah in the wilderness when he felt his life was over and unable to go on. God knew exactly how to restore Elijah. Warm bread, cool water, rest and time. Encouragement for the future from the prophets, for example, in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 2. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight in yourself in abundance. And Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 14. I will feed them in good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And many, many more passages. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven being like a banquet. In the Revelation chapter 7, verses 16 to 17, we read, Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst, for the Lamb will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. Food is one of the world's major topics at the moment. Overindulgence and obesity on one hand, famine, malnutrition and early death on the other. Theologian Jane Williams has changed that well-known catchphrase, you are what you eat, to you are if you eat. In the more affluent countries, words like organic and non-organic, genetic modification, sugar tax, junk food and the like are bandied about. The recent report on climate change has shocked. Carbon footprint and sustainability are even more important. Vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, meat-eating, omnivores, some of us have the luxury of choice, but for many, even in this country, there's the problem of simply feeding a hungry family on very little money. The growth of food banks is a sad statistic, and we pray for the day 
when they wouldn't be necessary. Diet and eating have become an obsession. Too much, too little, comfort eating, fatty eating. Entertainment too. How many cookery programmes is it possible to watch in one week? And all these advertisements designed to make us eat more or feel guilty. The Jewish culture has always been sensitive to the issue of food. And one of the factors which separated the Jews from other races is food. Rules and rituals laid out in the Mosaic law have dictated this. And feasts like the Passover meal commemorating the escape from Egypt at the time of the Exodus continue. But all faiths have their feast days when food and hospitality play a huge part. Right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, God provided food for his people. Allusions to Israel being a vineyard abound. Life-giving, essential nourishment, as is God's teaching to us. There are various accounts of Jesus enjoying hospitality provided by others. He was obviously very good company. And unlike John the Baptist with his locusts and wild honey, Jesus ate and drank heartily, we're told. He did raise a few eyebrows, though. And his disciples plucked ears of corn on the Sabbath. He defended them, citing David eating the temple bread. He ate in the company of those who were thought to be beyond the pale, tax collectors and sinners. He allowed a woman to pour ointment over his feet during a feast. His critics watched, gathering evidence against him. His growing popularity worried them. After the feeding of the 5,000, when the crowd wanted to make him a king, the authorities feared him more. And Jesus drew attention to himself by saying things that really shocked them. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. I've come down from heaven to do the will of my father who has sent me. They muttered against him. This man was delusional. How could he say this? They knew exactly who he was. Jesus, the carpenter's son of Joseph of Nazareth. And still Jesus continued. Believe in me and I will give you eternal life. Jesus understood them very well. Told them they would only relate to him if drawn by God and promised that only through him, by the grace of God, would they have eternal life. Jesus, the key to resurrection. We all have our own visions of eternal life, perhaps about what happens when we die. N.T. Wright, when talking about John's Gospel, gives a bit of background to this. He explains that Jews of Jesus' day recognised their present time, the age through which they were living, as one where evil and bad things happened, where justice, injustice and sorrow were everywhere. Sounds a bit like today, doesn't it? And they looked forward to a time in the future when God would change all this, when God would bring in a different age, when a new creation would happen. In this age, justice and fairness would rule and the evils of the present time would all be sorted out. 
when this age came, there would be no more sorrow. They saw this as eternal life. Jesus' coming was the beginning of this new creation. He was showing by his teachings how things could change, how life with fairness and truth could be an eternal life without sorrow. Jesus had fed them with loaves and fishes by the lakeside. And of course they wanted more. Jesus compared what he could give them to the miraculous sending of manna in the wilderness. Those who had eaten the manna in the wilderness did eventually die. I'm the living bread from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, but I will raise them up on the last day. At communion, we're used to hearing these words. We're used to hearing about the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shared for you. Do this in remembrance of me. These are words which give us comfort, strength and hope, and which nourish our faith. But just imagine how it must have been for those in the synagogue in Capernaum that day. The Last Supper, Jesus' crucifixion, and the resurrection had not yet happened. The thought of eating flesh and drinking blood would have shocked those who heard Jesus speak. Blood, in Jewish thought, stood for life and belonged always to God. Their rules told them that touching a dead body or blood rendered a person unclean. These were difficult words to hear, and some of the followers in the crowd deserted Jesus. Jesus had previously said that only those who believed in him would do so because God allowed it and drew them. They would only believe through God's grace. Through God's grace. So maybe we shouldn't try to analyse Jesus' words too much in case we try to explain them in ways that make life easier for us. It's suggested that perhaps we can understand this passage to be speaking symbolically but how we must rely completely on Jesus to provide for all our needs, just as God provided for his people in the wilderness. That God will sustain us, not just in the present time, but into eternal life as well. Jesus freely offers himself. We can abide in him and he in us. And it's always going to be a very personal relationship. We are fortunate to be able to feed on Jesus' words and also from the teaching in the Bible. This nourishes our spiritual lives in ways that good food nourishes our body. And this needs to be a regular thing. Thanks to prayer and scripture and worship, this is possible. Let's pray. This talk of eating flesh and drinking blood is strange, uncouth, shocking. Surely, Jesus, you didn't say such things when all the crowd wanted was bread to eat. No wonder they melted away, embarrassed by your words. Yet your flesh was to be stretched in pain and skin would be torn 
the crowds mocking. Surely, Jesus, they didn't say those things. And all you wanted was to offer love. No wonder you cried out, agonised, despairing at their words. Jesus, forgive us when we sanitise your suffering in our worship. Forgive our dainty bread and sober cups, civilising doilies and well-worn words. Jesus, forgive us when we join the easy crowd. Forgive our modest faith, rarely expressed, lives indistinguishable from our neighbours. Jesus, strengthen us to hear your words of eternal life and live them. Amen. Thank you, Anne, for your preaching this morning. Certainly given us a lot to think about. So, thinking of those things that I've said, let's just start now with our prayer of intercession. As we say, Lord, we pray for those who have different gifts and for those whose gifts that we take for granted. We remember that those who have daily jobs that may go unnoticed by many of us. We remember those who work in our health service and they use their skills to bring about our healing and our recovery. We think of those who deliver goods to our homes and our businesses and our shops. And for those who keep things up and running like our plumbers and builders and electricians. We thank you for those who are gifted to design with architecture and to build. And for those who provide our internet so that we can meet together via Zoom. We thank you for our worship leaders and our pastors and preachers. And for the work of charitable organizations. We remember Tear Fund and Oxfam, Emmanuel International, the Red Cross, UNICEF, and there are far, far too many to mention. We remember all the food banks, the homeless organizations, our street pastors, and those who give their time to youth organizations. Lord, we pray for those we take for granted and for ourselves so that we may use the gifts that we have received so that we can serve others. And we bring all of these prayers in the name of our servant King, whose gifts we have received to use for the glory of his name. Amen. Uh, we, we started our time this morning by um, thinking about Jesus, our Saviour. So, loving Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for your love towards each of us. We thank you for the care that you pour out among us and your continuing patience with us in all that we are and all that we do. And as we look to the future now and all that you're guiding us into, may we look to Jesus as our Lord, as well as our Saviour. May we be guided by him in our thoughts, our prayers, and our actions, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so may we go in peace to uh, love and serve the Lord.
Amen.